if you would with me, just like put a hand up or something and just pray with me. I'm going to pray through a, a, a verse and then pray for Ukraine and Russia. We have a lot of brothers and sisters there, um, and we should be inter- inter- interceding. And if you don't know what interceding means, it's just praying on their behalf. We're just coming alongside and saying, Lord, have mercy on these people. Um, so uh, Philippians, are, I'm going to start praying. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. Your blood speaks a better word than any empty claim in this world. Lord, you can do all things. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonable, reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray for Russia and Ukraine. Lord, we just ask that your mercies would just fall in that place. Lord, we pray that your peace that surpasses all understanding would just reign in that place. Lord, we just pray for our brothers and sisters that are suffering. We pray for our brothers and sisters that are anxious. Lord, we know that you can comfort them. Lord, we know that you can stop wars. You have done it before, and you can do it again. Lord, we earnestly just ask you to just do a miracle in this place. And Lord, for those of us that are anxious this morning about what the future looks like and whatever, Lord, we just pray that your, your presence would just rest on us this morning. Your Holy Spirit is alive, and he does crazy things. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would just indwell us. We just want more of your Holy Spirit to just comfort us and give us understanding. I love how that verse opens up with that. We'll let your reasonableness be known amongst the people. Lord, I pray that as we walk around Portland, Oregon, that we would be people that radiate the love of God, radiate the peace of God, the self-control of God, Lord, the justice of God, the mercy of God. So, Lord, we just... We just seek you this morning. Thank you that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you that you take care of us. Thank you that you are with us, that you didn't just stay in heaven, but that you, you came down to be with us, that we don't have a high priest that can't empathize with us. You are good. You are a good, good God. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. With that, Kristen Price. Yeah. Here you go. I'm just going to read the scripture this morning. I just want to say how refreshing Zion is. <laughs> uh, this is the word of the Lord. The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. From joy, from joy over it, he goes and sells all that is his, that all that he has, and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls and upon finding one pearl of great value he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Ian asked if we would just cover this service with prayer so I'm going to ask Lord that you would help us to find that treasure that we would give ourselves fully and find that treasure. Be with Ian today as he opens the word to us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Good morning, Door of Hope. It's good to see all of you. It's good to be here with you. It's good to see your faces. Thank you, Zion. Thank you, Kristen. Um, I don't mean to put him on the spot, but if I may quote Zion, he just said that you can go down to Discover Door of Hope and ask any question that you want, which is true, but then whoever's leading it has to deal with the consequences of that, which where I'm from, that means Zion just volunteered to lead it, right? That's what it, that was the sniff test that, that I seemed to pick up. You hear that, Zion? It's all yours, bud. Hey, guys, my name is Ian. If you don't know me, I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Door of Hope. And I'm just, I'm just, to, just to break some of the, some of the ice, um, I got to tell you guys what happened to me this morning. I thought that there was going to be a battle royale in the streets. I was riding my motorcycle here early. It was early this morning. It was, it was 5 a.m. sometime around then. It was still dark out. And this SUV was in front of me, and it pulled over, and I passed it, and then it, it pulled back out. And I just, I'm not typically a paranoid person, but I just knew, I had this sneaking suspicion, that guy's following me. I just know it. And so I have to confess a little bit of sin. Between my house and here, there's like, I don't know, there's 15 stop signs and four red lights, and I ran all of them. Every single, I was just putting this guy to the test. Like I came to the first stop sign and I just had this gut feeling this dude was following me and I blew through the, and I was looking, you know, it's early, there's nobody out, but I was still looking and I passed through the first stop sign and there was immediately another one and I passed through it and I looked in my rearview mirror and the dude was still right on my can. I was like, that guy just ran the red light. He's definitely following me. So then there was a red, there was a red light, stop sign, something, you know, whatever. But then there was two red lights. One of them was on a main street and I ran both of them. And he, was, and he ran them too. And I was like, okay, <laughs> remember you're a pastor, be nice, love your enemies. I was like going through the Rolodex of verses, but I was like, this is going to get ugly. And then I came to a red light, and like a moron, I was turning right, and I put my blinker on. Like I'm telling the guy where I'm going. I was like, stop that. That's not a good idea. And I take a right-hand turn, and I look in my, rearview, in my side mirror, and he took a left. I, don't, I have no idea. I have no idea. But I thought that I was going to get a fight and beat up on 39th and Gleason this morning. So it's really good to be with you. You never know when unexpected things are going to happen. So I'm here. I'm jazzed up. I'm caffeinated. I'm hydrated. I'm motivated. I'm feeling good. Go ahead and grab a Bible and turn to that, to that verse in Matthew 13, 44 through 46. And we're going we're gonna to get in this, into this together. Um, a, a, few, a few things that I, I'd actually like to discuss before I get right into the text itself is what I would like to achieve with this text. Uh, and this, this comes to mind because it's been, there's this word that I've been hearing a lot lately. Uh, when I say lately, I mean like really the last, the last year. Um, I've been here on staff at Door of Hope for going on 10 months and I've heard this word constantly. And I didn't really know how to define the word and so I've just been marinating on it for a while and the word is vision. And people have, have come to Door of Hope in general and they've asked the question, what is your vision? What is the vision? And, and there's, you know, there's lots of different ways that you could answer a question like that. But people started asking me personally, what is, what is your vision? What's your vision for Door of Hope? What's your vision for your role as a pastor? Uh, and, you know, to be honest, guys, I hadn't ever really thought about that because I didn't apply for this job. You know, I wasn't seeking this out. I was a knuckle buster at a glass shop in, in Vancouver, Washington, who was just an, atten just an attendance at Door of Hope, and then Josh, Josh approached me. Um, and so when I, first, when I first started chewing over this idea of vision, 
um, multiple things came into my brain, and, 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 and I, I started to think, you know, I'm not, we don't need to name all those. It doesn't matter. But I started thinking that idea of vision is kind of like silly to me in, in, in a way, um, depending on what angle you're coming at it from. But where it's not silly and where I think it's very pointed and, and what, what my conviction is, my vision is, is Matthew chapter 28. Like, I don't, I don't know if I'm ever going to graduate from that, where Jesus, just before he ascends into heaven, he tells his followers, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's my vision. That's what, that's what I want. I was having dinner, my wife and I were having dinner with some friends a, a month or so ago, and, and one of our, our good friends, somebody who I've known for years, he and I were talking, and he was saying to me, um, just like there's, there's, a, there's a certain authority that comes from the pulpit, which is intimidating and frightening, but it's true. And he was saying that he, he often grapples and wonders, uh, why, like, should, should pastors be telling people what to do socially or politically, because we live in a, in a wild world, and there's a lot of work that we could actually pragmatically do to achieve some goal, whether that's legislation or a nonprofit or some sort of like real hands and feet effort that, that brings relief to people in some shape or form, and, and why we prescriptively don't tell people to do those things. And I thought about that, like it was a really good question, and me and him mulled over it for a while, uh, and what I, what I came to realize after, after talking with him and thinking about it for some time is like this, it's, there is a time and a place for that. I don't think that, I don't personally feel a conviction that the pulpit is, is it. Um, if, if America is moving towards socialism, communism, capitalism, whatever the, whatever the thing might be, my vision is to stir up in people a love for Jesus Christ that remains whether we're in a capitalist or a socialist or a communist country, whether, whether we're at war or not at war. The circumstances of a, of a certain country, a certain city, a certain state, not much control over that. My, my conviction, my, my vision, even, for, even if I was still just a glass guy, you know, Never mind the pulpit. I want you to believe in the person of Jesus Christ, to know that he is good, to know that there is salvation in no other name except his alone, that he died for your sins and was raised for your justification. And the little tagline that I came up with, I was, I was thinking about what do I want to do? Like, why am I here? Why am I not doing something? I'm a tradesman. I grew up in the trades. And the, the money in the trades is great. Like, I could make a very good living, raise a perfectly healthy, well-fed family, paying my mortgage every month, doing the trades thing. So why am I here? Because you can't do that as a pastor. I'm kidding. That's not true. But, but they're like, well, what's my motivation for being here? Why am I here? And this is, this is why. And I'm, and I'm glad that my friend brought this up, and I'm glad that people came to me with this idea of vision because it really got me thinking. And this is, this is my vision. This is what I'm going to do every moment, especially that I'm in the pulpit, but this is what I want to do with my entire life. I want to preach Christ accurately. And that's, that's not an easy thing because there's lots of churches and there's lots of churches. There's lots of, of positions and platforms and formats from which people will teach some sort of help, self-help program or some other thing and they'll call it Jesus. Some are like religious duty and they'll call it Jesus. But the actual person, Jesus Christ, who is he really? What does it mean that he came 
in the flesh and died for our sin. Who is Jesus? I want to preach Jesus accurately. God in the flesh coming to seek and save that which is lost. Died for your sins, rose from the dead three days later, ascended to heaven and is existing and is alive and well right now. I want to preach Jesus accurately so that we would know him personally. Not a formula, not a to-do list, not religious regulations or some other thing, that we would actually know the risen Christ personally. I want to preach him accurately so that we would know him personally and through knowing him personally that we would obey him lovingly and worship him appropriately. And that's, that's my vision. That's what I want to do. I want you to know Jesus Christ. Not, a, not about him. Any, any person can eavesdrop on somebody's conversation and learn something about that person or that group of people. I want you to know Jesus Christ personally and enter into that roller coaster of relationship that will take you right up to your deathbed. It's beautiful and it's hard and it's marvelous and it's the right thing. I want you to know Jesus personally and so I want to preach him accurately. That's what I want to do. And this, this text feeds right into that. Because we're talking about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in, in a field. And the man who found it went and sold everything that he had to get that one treasure. Someone who's seeking fine pearls found the one pearl, got rid of everything for the sake of that one pearl. And, and I got to cover a few basics here because if you look into these texts at all, one of the things that you find very quickly is naysayers who are doing this to Jesus and they're saying, see, Jesus is basically advocating for unjust or dishonest behavior because if there is someone who is in a field, now remember, this is a parable. This isn't a true story. And parables aren't meant to be bled dry with every little detail, supposed to be meaning something necessarily. So people point at this and they go, oh, see, well, there was this guy, he was in a field. Who knows why he was in the field? Was he working the field? Was he just passing through the field? Why was he in the field? And then he found a treasure that was in the field and didn't tell the owner of that field that the treasure was there. He just bought it so that he could have the treasure. But there's actually in written, in, in the law, in the Jewish law, in the Jewish rabbinical law, it was stated that basically finders keepers. It was said that if someone came across scattered fruit or scattered money, so long as that wasn't like in someone's private residence, right? You, that Finders keepers, it was yours. If you found it, you could take it. And the other thing is that this guy was really thinking on his toes. He wouldn't have bought the field. He would have just taken the treasure. It says that he hid it again. You don't do that if you're, if you're a conniving silver-tongued devil. He would have just taken it. That's what I would have done. Been like, dope, that's mine. Xbox 360 on the way. I don't even know why I said that. I've never played Xbox in my life, but it sounded relatable. So let's just get, out of the, let's just get that out of the way. This, this is not unethical. The point, the point of the parable is that somebody found something of such value, they, they, they found something, this guy found something, he assessed its value, he understood what it is, he looked at it, he uncovered it to some degree, realized what it was, and in joy, it says in his joy, he went and got rid of everything. He got rid of every safety net, he, got rid, he liquidated everything. He forsook all, all security, everything else for this one great treasure. That's the point. The kingdom of heaven is like this thing that you find that when you see it, you assess it, you understand it, you can, you can download what it is, you will be willing to let go of everything else, every security, every safety net, 
everything that you have to get rid of for the beauty of the kingdom. We want the kingdom. This guy wanted the kingdom. And whenever we take a look at what the kingdom is, be hard-pressed to not want it with everything that you have. So what, so what is the kingdom? I want to talk about what it is, how it's received, and who it is that offers it. What is the kingdom, how is it received, and who it is that offers it. And I may not come back to that list again because I'll forget, so write that down if it'll be helpful. What is the kingdom, how it's received, and who offers it? The, the, kingdom, the kingdom of God, Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He says these thing, that, that, that phrase often. And to be honest, the, the magnitude of, of heaven, the magnitude of the kingdom of God, I didn't set my thing again. Guys, I'm such a rookie. All right, that's just going to make sure that I don't keep us there till the evening service. So the kingdom of God is beyond, is really beyond human recognition. It's beyond what we can fathom. It's beyond what we can even imagine at all. It's so good, it's so big, it's so beyond us that we can't fathom it. But, but we could say, try to put it succinctly, that the kingdom of God is where God's rule, God's wisdom, God's plan, God's authority reigns without sin, without interference, without trouble, without upheaval, without commotion, without mayhem, without rebellion. It's where, it's where his rule is completely un, it's, it, nobody, nobody is pushing against God. It's the Eden ideal. It's, it's God looking out at everything, the entire cosmos of his kingdom, and saying it is good. Every thought, every word, every deed, everything that takes place in God's kingdom, he looks at and says, it is, it is good. It's good. And I, don't, and I don't know what all that is. But the kingdom that Jesus is talking about is the kingdom where sin and death are no more. That we know for sure. And I'm going to itemize that as we, as we continue. But just at the moment, everything God looks at in his kingdom, when his kingdom comes... He's going to look at it and say, it is, it is good. It's going to be awesome. And it's beyond what we can even comprehend. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no heart has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And part of this mysterious reality of the kingdom is that it's a now and not yet kingdom. Parts of it are here right now. And parts of it are still mysterious. Parts of it are, we're still seeing through a glass darkly. Matthew 6.10, Jesus said, I'm gonna rattle on a bunch of verses today, so if you wanna keep track, write them down. I've been doing this lately. Write them down because this is good stuff. Jesus says in Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which means that it's not happening on earth as it is in heaven that's not the same. Jesus is, is praying. He's telling his people, his boys, his followers, his disciples to pray. Pray that God's kingdom comes. Pray that his will is done here just like it is in heaven because right now you don't have to twist anybody's arm to admit that it's not happening here the way that it's happening in heaven. God is not looking at everything on earth right now and going, that's good. That's pleasing. We all know that's not happening. So it's not here. The kingdom is not here in one, in one very real sense. It has not been consummated. But in Mark 1.15, Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom is 
at hand. He says in Luke eleven twenty, if by the finger of God I cast out devils, then the kingdom of God is upon you. Luke seventeen twenty one, Jesus says the kingdom is in your midst. It's here. It's in their midst. If by the very power of God, by the very finger of God, Jesus is able to cast out devils, he says, then, then the kingdom is upon you. It's here. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's elements of it that are here, and there's elements of it that are still mysterious. I would say the bulk of it is still mysterious. The bulk of it has still not been seen or realized by us. Remember when Paul says that he was caught up into the third heavens and the things that he saw there were so great that he didn't even want to pollute it with human description. He didn't want to even put words to it because all the words would fall short. It would pervert what he saw. The kingdom is, Jesus describes it just a few verses before the one we're considering this morning. Matthew 13, 31 is like a mustard seed or like, or like leaven. It's like a mustard seed, the tiniest seed in the field that grows to be this, this, this giant bush or shrub or tree it's small but it's growing it starts small but it's growing it's now and it's not yet there's a mystery element to it it is here but it has not been completed it is not here in full and we get a taste of the kingdom in the very actions and the person of Jesus Christ himself I I heard a, a pastor say one time and I thought it was really great that we we consider miracles to be these events that take place that are supernatural they, they take place in the natural world in which we which we live but they're they're actions that defy all of the laws of nature that they defy everything that we consider to be normal It's a supernatural action. Things happen that shouldn't happen. Things go away that shouldn't go, that should disappear. Physical matter is manipulated in a way that is beyond human ability. But what this pastor was saying is that actually what you see in Jesus' miracles is not a supernatural event so much as it is him bending things back into the nature that they were actually intended to be. And I love that idea because you look at Jesus all through the four gospels, you look at his life and he is constantly and consistently casting out disease he's healing he's healing disease he's casting out illness and sickness he's he's casting out death and demonic possession he's taking things that are that are that are affected by death and by decay and by atrophy and he bends them back into flourishing and into wholeness and into health and into wellness the guy with the withered hand it was all mangled up Jesus just spoke a word and that hand was restored to health he restores health. He restores human flourishing. He takes away the effects, the ripple effects of sin and death and decay. He removes those things, showing us a slight hint of what the kingdom is like, where ultimately death is cast out, ultimately disease is cast away. Anything that is dysfunctional, anything that is broken or maimed, he gets rid of that. That is ultimate reality. Do you ever stop and pause and drink some tea and think about that? Ultimate reality is not Russia and Ukraine. That's the effects of sin and death and hell. That's what that is. In God's kingdom, that doesn't exist. And we see Jesus Christ in the flesh by, by the agency of his written word entering into human disease and decay and bending it back to show us this is actually what life is supposed to be like. It's a beautiful thing. We get a sense of the kingdom of heaven by the very things that Jesus does 
and that he says. It is not, the kingdom is not, the kingdom of God consummated, the kingdom of God complete, is not just some political or military power, which is what the disciples thought it is. Part of this, part of this mysterious element is, is that the disciples misunderstood what it was that Jesus was referring to when he said the kingdom. They thought it was gonna be a political or military overthrow right now. The Romans were exercising oppressive authority over the Jewish people and these guys hoped that that would end today. That here in the physical, here in the natural, here in the terrestrial, right here, right now, we're gonna, we're gonna have power. We're gonna overthrow the Romans. Even in Acts chapter one, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, just before he takes off, they ask him, are you now at this time gonna re restore the kingdom to Israel? They were thinking politically. They were, they were small potatoes. They weren't thinking eternally. They weren't thinking spiritually. They were thinking right here and right now. And friends, Jesus came to do so much more than that. He didn't come to necessarily relieve us of political oppression, but he came to save us from eternal hell. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He had much he had a much bigger plan in mind than just the 60, 70, 80, 90 years we spend here. And so far removed from this were his disciples, the people that spent the most amount of time with him that we see even, even Peter in Matthew chapter 16. Peter is so separated from kingdom purposes and from the, from the sovereign wisdom, the omnipotence of God himself that he gets in Jesus' face. Remember in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is telling his disciples that he's gonna be handed over into the, the possession of, of, of the religious leaders and the Pharisees and sinners and that they were gonna kill him and that he was gonna raise, raise on the third dead. The best news that human history could possibly ever have. They didn't understand that of course at the point and Peter gets in Jesus's face and he says no you're not going to die you're not going to go to a cross you're not going to be handed over into shackles and chains because he was thinking with human wisdom and that's exactly what Jesus said he, he looked at Peter square in the face and he said get behind me Satan that's how opposed to the kingdom purposes Peter was in that moment Get behind me, Satan. He said to Peter, you have, the, you have in mind the things of man and not the things of God. The things of God, what Jesus was essentially saying is that there is gonna be absolutely nothing, nothing that is gonna get between me and the cross and that is for our good. That's the purpose of the kingdom. It's mysterious. It's beautiful. We cannot wrap our minds around it. And Peter stepped right into a gopher hole and twisted his ankle. He was going to try to get between Jesus and the cross. What a tragedy that would have been. You have in mind the things of man, not the things of God. Jesus would sacrifice himself so that we could have salvation. There's some, there's some kingdom of God ethics for you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's some kingdom ethics. How antithetical to human nature. How antithetical to the world that we live in now. The kingdom is good news. The kingdom of God, friends, is good news. And so here's some of the details. John 14, verse 3, Jesus makes it clear that the kingdom of God, in some sense, is a, is a place. There is a, there is a spatial element to it. The disciples are worried. John 14, if you know the context, if you know the story, Jesus, it's his last night with his disciples. He's telling them that he's going to leave. They're super stressed out. They're super bugged. Even Jesus is stressed out. He knows that the cross is just, just hours before him. 
and he's troubled in his heart, and he says to his disciples, he tells Peter that, he says to Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the night's over. Troubling thing to say, and then immediately he says, but let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go there to prepare a place for you. This is beautiful. He says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you with me so that where I am, you may be also. I go to prepare a place so that where? There's a spatial, it's a place. Somehow it's a, it's a place. There's actually going to be like a, a, a physical place that it is. New heavens and the new earth. There's a place there. But more than the place, it's who's in the place. More than it being a spatial element, it's a relational element. That where I am, you may be also, we're invited into the very house of God himself. John 17, 3, Jesus praying for us today, praying for his disciples. It's called the high priestly prayer. All of chapter John, seven, all of John chapter 17 he, is a prayer that is uttered from the lips of Jesus. And he says in verse 3, Father, this is eternal life, that they, his disciples and us, Believers all through, all through the ages of history, he says this is eternal life, that they would know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Heaven, the kingdom of God, eternity, is a place where we have intimate knowledge of God. Again, not over eavesdropping on somebody's conversation and having some two-dimensional information about God. But you know, this, this word know in the Bible is used for even sexual intimacy. That level of, of knowing. We will, be as, we will be more in tune relationally with Yahweh than we are with our own spouses, than with our own children, which is a beautiful reality because whenever you follow that train of thought, what you get is that the best relationships that you have now, the best intimacy that you have now, the, I mean, I'm talking the good stuff. They're like the sweet, heartwarming, good stuff. As good as it is here in this kingdom, fallen, blight, disease, death, decay, this, this kingdom, as good as the intimacy and relationships are that we can have here, they're but a breath. They're, a, they're, they're just the faintest whisper of the intimacy that we are going to have in the kingdom. This is eternal life that you would know God you would know Jesus Christ whom he has sent. It's a relationship. The kingdom is a place where we have relationship. The kingdom is where there is no more guilt, no more anxiety, no more shame, no more condemnation. I talk to a lot of you guys and I know that those are, there are those of you in here who are unnecessarily feeling condemnation and shame. Romans 8, 1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because he took it on the cross. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you've blown it, you've blown it as a parent, you've blown it as a student, we can get better, we can improve, we can learn from our mistakes, but before the, before the, the eyes of of, the, of Almighty God, if you're covered in the blood of Jesus, there's no condemnation. You've blown it, there's no condemnation. There's motivation to do better. There's motivation to improve. No condemnation, there's forgiveness, there's kindness. And that's what the kingdom is like. We get a taste of it now. Remember, glass darkly. 
We get a taste of it now. But in the kingdom, there is no condemnation. We sense it now. We will experience it in full when we get to the heaven. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And his kingdom is a place of renewal and restoration and flourishing. Renewal and restoration and flourishing. No more, no more tears, no more crying, no more weeping, no more pain. Ever again. Listen, listen to these words in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there is no longer any sea. Now, don't be, if you're a surfer here, don't be bummed out by no more sea. The sea in the Bible is always used. It doesn't mean no more ocean or no more, no more water. I, I, I don't know what's going to be there. Maybe there'll be oceans like there are here. But the sea, in the, whenever the Bible says no more sea, the sea, the sea is, almost, is always an image for chaos, for the potential of chaos all the time. The, uh, the unknown, mayhem, rebellion, what's happening, I mean, just, just wars in general, what's happening right now, the tragedies that we see unfolding in real time on the news and on social media of what's happening in Ukraine with the Russian invasion, that is the sea that is spoken of in Revelation 21. No more mayhem, no more chaos, no more manipulation, no more hiding, no more politicians that can be bribed and bought off. No more distrust. No more slides of the hand. No, no more face value and really behind the scenes, here's what's going. No more dishonesty. No more greed. No more selfishness. And none of the stuff that comes from that. None of the, the huge, awful, life-slaughtering things that come from lying, that come from greed. That come, no more see. No more anything rising up from the deep, catching you off guard. We live, we live in a sea. I mean, insurance companies make billions because of the unknown chaos that may at any moment manifest itself in a way that we cannot predict or know. No more sea. No more condemnation. In relationship with God forever. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from, from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be among them. And listen, listen to this. This is Revelation 21.4. Write it down. Memorize it. Process everything through this, because this is a promise to you. Revelation 21.4, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There'll no longer be any weeping. There'll be no longer any crying or pain for these things have passed away. That's the kingdom of God. Do you see it in the field? You uncovered it and assessing it, looking at it? downloading all the information that there is of this kingdom, the treasure that this man found in the field, that's what the kingdom of God is like. No more crying, no more pain, no more lying, no more, no more see. The kingdom is where God powerfully and comprehensively brings as much flourishing, renewal, 
love and goodness and sweetness and enjoyment to your eternal existence as he is capable of doing, and that is infinite. Remember some, some weeks ago, it's been over a month ago now, I guess, I was, I, I was geeking out on how the Milky Way is 621 quadrillion miles across and that our Lord holds that in hardly the palm of his hand because he has the whole rest of the cosmos in there too and the Milky Way is a little galaxy out of all the galaxies and so great is his love for us. Charles Spurgeon said that his mercy... His mercy is like him. It is infinite. It cannot be measured. That much power, that much authority, that much wisdom, that much capability just pouring blessing on you for all of eternity where there's no more sea, no more crying, no more pain, no more dishonesty. That's the kingdom. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined the magnitude of this. This is good news, friends. And it, it gets better. The kingdom is where our souls are not lost. Mark 8.36, Jesus said, What does it profit a person to gain the whole world and to lose their soul? We often daydream about what it would be like to be billionaires. What it would be like to be able to just buy that Caribbean cruise vacation or whatever it is that suits your fancy. I would love to be able to walk into a Harley Davidson dealership and just drop a fax stack for a 2017 Street Glide. 114 V-Twin, I would love it. I would love to have the power to just drop some, oh, and it would feel cool too. My stupid white shoes walking there, drop 30 Gs for a motorcycle. Wash that, bring it out in the parking lot, bruh. You gain the whole world, gain the whole world. For the forfeit of your soul, Jesus says that's foolish. What does it profit you? The kingdom is where our souls are not lost. The kingdom is where our souls, that thing, that thing inside of you, I, I see it, man. I see it, summertime's coming and I can see those dudes. Most of them have gray hair, but I can see those dudes who got the 2017 Street Glide 117 pushrod v twin i can see them just doing their thing and i that that thing inside you that's like i want that i want that that will never be satisfied whatever it is that you look at and you're like oh i want that thing that house that job that loft that health that relationship that that thing i need that i need that child i need to have a family that thing that will never be satisfied this side of heaven that's why it's idolatrous to seek after those things first and foremost. That, that thing will only come to not only be quiet, but come to be satisfied. Satisfaction of soul, peace in the heart. When we know that this isn't even our home, there's nothing here that can satisfy that. We can enjoy those things. We can enjoy push rod V twins and vacations on, yeah, I mean, we can enjoy nice stuff, but but your soul will never be satisfied until you come to personally know God. Because he is, he is who made you. He, who, he made, that is the relationship. God is who we were made from and made for. And we also have the peace of knowing that A, nothing that I get here is gonna satisfy my soul to begin with, and B, everything that is perfect, everything that is pleasing, everything that is ultimately satisfying is ahead of me is ahead of us. It is the kingdom. 
And that is a good, solid inspiration to work hard now to bring the kingdom of God here as much as we are humanly possible. That's why it's like a mustard seed. Jesus could only be in one time and one place because he was, he was in a human body. He was one person in that sense. But he ascended and he sent God the Spirit to illuminate the heart of billions of believers all across the planet at every, any given time. And we become little images of Jesus, little people that have his conviction, his characteristics, his traits. That's why we should be obedient to the ways that the Bible tells us to, to behave. To conduct ourselves in society. Here's our guidebook right here. Why? Because it's rules and regulations? Well, yeah, I mean, God commanded us, so there's one thing. But also because we get to be involved in the work in bringing the good kingdom here in part. Yes, but in part. We get invited to be a part of that work. We get invited to be a part of the manifestation of that kingdom here on earth. For those who need a breath of fresh air and Christians, we should be a breath of fresh air to those who are around us. If that, if that guy had been, that was following me this morning cut me off and, I mean, I don't know how I would have reacted, but I really wish, I really hope that I would have had the sense to whatever had happened to say, God, forgive them. They know not what they do. Not retaliate, not retribution, not revenge. We're to be a kingdom people. This kingdom is where our souls are not lost, where we know that the world does not satisfy. We're heading home, and we can be a taste of the kingdom here in the meantime. And we have every good motivation, every good reason to be so. The kingdom is home. The kingdom is home. Second Corinthians 5.8, Paul writes that we look forward to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. The kingdom is our real home. That's why earth is such a mess. This isn't our home. It's under, it's under the power of the sway of the evil one. It is completely devastated and decaying because of sin. This is not our home. We look forward to being away from the body and at home with Yahweh our God. The kingdom is permanent. First Peter 1 4, Peter says that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. I think that this might be the, the one, the, the, the element of the kingdom that strikes the most in my heart personally, if I was just reading through this, that, that one, it's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading. That's the one where it just, it's so sweet to my soul to read those words because one of the things that I have, as I'm, I'm 35 years old, so I've made it through my teens, I made it through my 20s, I'm halfway through my 30s, and the thing that I have hated the most about human existence is that it's constantly going away. You know, there's, there's friends, there's, there's friend groups that, that dissipate. There's, I, I try to think back, when I was a kid, I, I was a skateboarder, and my dad and I made this, it's called a fun box. It's a wood box, it's got angle iron on it, you can grind it. I got a rail from somebody, and day after day after day after day after day for years, me and my friends, we lived on a hill, me and my friends would grab that box and we would drag it uphill, and we'd leave it in the middle of the street, and we'd walk back down, and we'd get the rail, and we'd walk back up the hill, and, we'd leave, and, day, and this was our childhood, and we would skate for hours on that stuff, me and Mike and Kyle and Travis and Jared the list goes on and then one time that never happened again right like when was the last time that you were with that group of friends and then you all disbanded and went home and you never came back together 
Sometimes that's just life, people move on. Sometimes it's because people die. My friend Ben just died at 37 years old. The last time I saw him, he was big, big boy, big muscle-bound dude. He was sitting on the back of my motorcycle. We were cruising through, through Abilene, Texas. It was really embarrassing. And then, and, then I got, and, then I, and then I went home. You know, it was this funny, like, ha-ha, a couple of dudes in short shorts riding a KLR 650 through Abilene. And we were laughing at each other and making fun of each other. And I remember, and I remember the day. I remember the day that I left Texas and I, le- I went to see him at work and I left and he was standing in the doorway and I never saw him again and now he's dead. There's th- this life is constantly going, good things are always going away. Good things are always dying. You go back to your childhood home after not being there for decades, it's not the same. You have that sweet childhood memory of that friend group and then you meet, what, you see one of those people again for the first time in 15 years, it's not the same. There's this thing, we always want to reach back and go, it's gone, it's dead. Kingdom of heaven, that never happens again. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It is unfading. This is why we take pictures. This is why we have photo albums. We look back and we go, oh, remember. Oh, the good old days. There's something in us. It says in the Bible that eternity has been put into our hearts. We know that people shouldn't die. We know that good things shouldn't go away. But our skin gets wrinkly, our hair gets gray, our organs begin to fail, friends die. We go to more funerals than birthdays once we get old enough. It's a sad reality of what sin has brought. And in God's kingdom, that's, a, that's gone. Undefiled and unfading. And for those who are saved, for those of you who have been born again, who believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your savior, that he is God in the flesh, come to seek and to save that which is lost. The spirit or the kingdom is absolutely guaranteed. The kingdom is guaranteed for you. Ephesians 1.14, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, and say it again, this is Ephesians 1.14, memorize this verse, this is so, so sweet. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. (laughs) Is there any, like, better breakfast cereal than that? I mean, that's a way to start your day right there. If God the Spirit is alive inside you, this is guaranteed. Christ will just as likely fall from heaven than you will not go there. It's impossible. It will not happen. When Jesus said it is finished, this is part of what he had in mind. It is the work is done. You you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. You submit to him. You sell all and you take that treasure. It is guaranteed. God the Spirit is alive inside of you and you are guaranteed an eternity of felicity. That, think about that until your heart is melted. And then love on strangers. Donate your time. Make this as much as you can, that kingdom, while we're here. We will not be able to succeed entirely, but we can help. We can be salt and we can be light when we're loaded up with this, God's word. It's a guarantee of your inheritance, undefiled, imperishable and unfading. Praise God.
this is made all the more better. This is where I risk the angry emails, and I don't care. This is made all the more better when you stop and, and realize and consider that this kingdom, undefiled, unfading friendship that never goes away, love that never fades, companionship that never dies, we don't deserve it. We deserve hell. Not because God's maniacal, but because he's good and we're not. End of story. Any preacher that tells you anything else is trying to get you to give him money so he can get that push rod V twin street glide. And if I ever do that, fire me. We deserve hell. We deserve punishment. We deserve wrath. And people are like, I don't like hearing that. Please don't say that. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. A, the Bible says it. So shush, the Bible says it. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Romans 6, Romans 6 says that that penalty, the payment for that sin is death. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. You know what that means? That means that like, even the small stuff, the little thing, every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes from God. He causes it to fall. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Everything that is sweet and pleasant and heartwarming and affectionate and kind is from God. Not from the devil. It's from God. The, the simplest thing to the flavor of your favorite ice cream to resting your newborn child on your chest for the first time. Like the little stuff and the big stuff. The good stuff, all of it across the board, from one pendulum swing to the other, small and large, all of that comes from God. In hell, there is none of it. None of it. And that's what we deserve. That's what I deserve. I heard a, I heard a story. Uh, I'm going to go way over today, and I just, still, I just, I'm trying to find some reason to care, and I just don't. I heard a story of, of a, there's a, there's a pastor, a pastor in his 70s who was telling the story of a woman in his congregation who was at the deathbed of her husband. They'd been married for five decades. They had great grandkids together. They had a full life. And he's dying in this bed right in front of her. And she's singing and she's holding his hand and she's smiling. And one of the, one of the doctors there said, excuse me, ma'am, I'm just, I'm taken aback by your behavior here. What's why are you happy about this? And her answer, this isn't a quote, but it's really close. Her answer to that doctor that was retold from this pastor from the pulpit was that she said, my husband deserves hell and he's going to the kingdom of the everlasting God. Why should I be upset? And you know what? If I had heard that two years ago, I don't really, you know, I would have, it, would have, it would have been somewhat gibberish to me because I would have no way to personally relate to that. But I sat at my father's deathbed and I watched him take his last breath and I held him in my arms as his body went completely cold and you know what my dad would have been the first one to tell you that he deserved death hell and damnation punishment he deserved that he deserved the wrath of God because he was a rebellious sinner but my dad went to the kingdom of heaven and my wife and I rejoiced in that moment and we're still rejoicing. And that's because Jesus is that good. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If we take away the seriousness of sin, if we take away the, the reality of the punishment that sin deserves, then what Jesus did ain't that big a deal. 
And I certainly am not gonna re reorder the loves of my life for some disconnected two-dimensional deity. You know what I mean? We, we, lose the, we lose how much trouble we're in, then we don't really care about what Jesus did because what did he do? Save us from kind of hell, sort of hell? No, he saved us from eternal damnation. He who knew no sin became sin. And I'm not hot to trot on that for any other reason than I listen to a lot of pastors yammering on about how you can have your best life now because God's big business is actually just blessing the snot out of you while you're here on earth. Tell that to people in Ukraine. Tell that to Christians who are hiding underneath their own cars from men wandering by with fully automatic machine guns. Tell them that God's business is to just bless them in this life. It's a lie. And I'm gonna call it out. That's a lie. But we do have the kingdom to look forward to because Jesus took all of that into himself. That's how good he is. That's how much he loves you. That's how radical he is. We can't do away with sin and guilt. We have to face it. And when you do, and you get that lump in your throat that you're in trouble, and then you read the gospel and you say, Jesus took all that so that I'm promised this kingdom. <laughs> I'll give him my life. Then the kingdom of God really becomes treasure and not just some throwaway paperweight. Jesus came and he took all of that. He became sin so that we might become righteousness. And I'm gonna, risk of going way, way, way too long, I'm, I'm gonna make this point really quick. What is, what is the selling? This man found this treasure, this guy found a pearl, and went and sold everything so that they might have that treasure, so that they might have that pearl. Duh, you cannot buy heaven. That's not what this parable is saying. There's people there, there's people out there that, that try to pull on those strings. You cannot buy heaven, you cannot earn heaven. If you could, Paul says, then Jesus died for nothing. And that ain't ever gonna come out of my lips. You cannot earn it, you cannot buy it, you cannot manipulate and scheme to achieve it. So what is, what is the selling? What is this getting rid of? You know, this is a, this is a beautiful reality um, it's point blank stated that you cannot buy the kingdom. In Matthew 10, Jesus says, go and heal, go and raise, go and cleanse. Freely you received, so freely give. Done, boom, right there. Mark 10, 15, Jesus says that to, re to receive the kingdom of heaven, you have to receive it like a little child. And isn't that, that is so antithetical to buying it or earning it? I don't have any children of my own, not yet anyways, and, but I have a lot of kids in my family, and on more than one occasion, one of, these, one of these little ones, these little ankle biters down here, for one reason or another will want up, and what do they do? They pull on your pant leg, and they do this. And you know what that means. That's universal for pick me up, dude. I need help. Or I just want a hug. That's how you receive the kingdom. We're completely helpless to achieve it on our own. But think about this. The God of the universe who holds the sun and the moon and the stars in place all the time, he is the kind of God. He is the, who is a father. Yahweh is a father. He looks down at us and we do this and it says in, in Luke 12 that it is his pleasure. 
It's his good pleasure. Jesus said to his disciples, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Come on. Praise the Lord. He's that good. He looks at us and he sees this and he's like, that's my boy. That's my girl. We cannot earn it. But there is an exchange. And the exchange is this. It's, it's looking to him who went into poverty for you. It's looking to him who sold everything. It's looking to him who gave up everything for you. Jesus, step, he set his crown down. He put on a pair of sandals. He became a carpenter, born in a cow's feeding trough. He came humbly. He got rid of everything for his treasure. Which means that he's not asking you to do anything that he hasn't already done himself and to such a greater degree did he do it because he actually stepped out of that kingdom. He knew what he was leaving behind and he set it aside because it was worth it to him to step into the decay and into the war and the mud and the glut of debauchery that this world is to grab you by the hand and take you home. And to take you home meant that he had to live a perfect life, never sinned in word, thought, or deed. And he was killed on a cross because he received there the punishment that you and I deserved. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because even the relationship of the Trinity suffered a trauma that we cannot comprehend. So that you would never have to be booted out of the kingdom so that you could, be, so that you could come in. So the exchange... The selling of everything is to see Jesus on the cross and to acknowledge and to understand, I deserve that. He's doing that for me. And then surrender to his authority. Romans 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the, the confess him that he is Lord part means that you surrender to his authority. We do not earn our way into heaven but if we are children of the kingdom, we will act that kingdom out. So we take all of our proclivities, all of our pensions, all of our, our lusts and our desires, and we put them under submission to what it says in his written word. How do I relate to humanity? How do I behave? How do I act? How do I react to enemies? How do I respond to those that disagree with me politically or socially or some other way? How, how do I treat them? The answers are all here, and the why is what we're talking about right now, because Jesus looked at you, you rugrat sinner, and said, I love you. Come, come. We surrender to his authority. He becomes our Lord. We believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, which means that we believe that he is God in the flesh who came to die for us, to be raised for us. And that sinless life that he lived, that righteousness that Yahweh sees and says, okay, you are acceptable for my kingdom, that is taken care of because somehow Christ gives us his righteousness. One of my favorite Bible verses, I say this every week I feel like. Colossians chapter one tells us that we are holy and blameless and above reproach above reproach which is the standard for heaven you want to get into that kingdom this kingdom right here God's kingdom 
That's the standard. Holy, perfect, and above reproach. And that's not me and that's not you. But in the name of Jesus and by the blood of Jesus, that is us. That is a miracle. Do you believe that? Do you hold on to that? Is that your truth? Is Jesus your God? Our sexuality, our money, the things that we say, the things that we think, we take everything and we put it under his guidance and under his rule and we obey him. And we will do it imperfectly, friends. We will mess up. Kids trip, they fall, they stutter, they throw things, they throw temper tantrums. Friends, we will do the same. But his grace is new every morning and that's not an excuse to abuse grace. It's, it's, it's a reason, it's the reason to say, God, thank you, thank you for your grace. I wanna follow you again today. I wanna follow you again today. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, that ain't me. What you're saying sounds nice, dude, but I don't believe it. All right, fair enough. Think about it. Dare I say, maybe even take a risk and pray about it. Because the Bible says that for God so loved the world that whosoever, he sent his only begotten son so that whosoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. You're included in whosoever. Doesn't matter what you deal with, doesn't matter your temptations, your sins, your addictions, doesn't matter. Race, creed, color, none of it matters. There is no partiality with God. He says come, whosoever, all, come. This is, this is a little piece of the kingdom of God. The little tiny bit that we can't understand it. Isn't it good? Doesn't it sound good? Our God is good, amen? Our God is good. He died for your sins. He was raised for your justification and he invites whosoever to be a part of this kingdom forever. Amen? Jesus, thank you for your life and for your death and for your resurrection. Thank you for your patience. Thank you that even, even as we are children of the kingdom, your, your word says that we are children of God, we are co-heirs with Christ, we get invited into the eternal family home. In this world, on the way there, we mess up, we think wrong, we do wrong, we say wrong. Thank you, Lord, that your grace and your forgiveness is so great that while there is breath in our lungs, we are covered. You separate our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. Psalms 103 tells us, thank you, Jesus. Help us to be a people that is more molded and more, more worked into the image of Jesus. Father, help us to be a people who are so melted by the love that we see in Jesus, the work that we see in Jesus, that we want to please him, we want to honor him, and Lord, by the power of your spirit, enable that work in us. And if there are, if there are any, anyone here this morning whose hearts are cold to this gospel message, I pray that you convict them, that you convert them, that you bring them to somebody here in this room, staff member or otherwise, and that they would start asking questions. While we were even still sinners, you died for us, Lord. Thank you for being so comprehensive in your love 
and in your work that words, words fail. Words fail. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, friends, this is Russ Lacey, one of the pastors here at Door of Hope Southeast. Thanks for listening to this teaching. We always want to encourage you to give to your local church and would never want to supplant that. But if you're a regular listener and would like to help our church as we seek to point people to Jesus and minister here in the city of Portland, we'd welcome your prayers and financial support. Just head over to dooroftheopepdx.org and click Give from the menu bar. May God bless you.